All right, welcome to the Not Quite Compassion podcast, episode number 29, entitled Spiritual Trauma, uh, with two of my favorite people on the planet, uh, Luke and Kelsey Tushar. Um, it's, it's, this episode is extra um, interesting and, and uh, yeah, for me, because I actually used to be their youth pastor uh, back in the day. And then they went on to uh, plant a church with uh, with us as well too, and so and then since then, um, both of us have have seen our spirituality evolve. Uh, they would no longer, um, as they say in the podcast, identify as Christians, and we and so we talk a lot about just um, some of the toxic beliefs that we both used to hold and that I used to teach even, and then also um, the spiritual trauma that comes from that uh, purity culture. Um, we just get into it and we laugh a whole lot in the process. So it just, um, gosh, I just really just love them. And I think you will too. So enjoy. Okay. Um, oh man, looking uh, <laughs> Kelsey Tushar in a late night sesh. Um, it's uh, it's nine o'clock our time, and I'm the only one drinking, which is a little little frustrating. Um, frustrating. There you go. I can- right now, you're the only one drinking right now. Right. <laughs> um, thanks, guys, for joining me. I'm so excited. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah. So. Um, Let's see. Would you mind jumping in a little bit on um, sharing, I guess maybe just briefly kind of the two of you, your spiritual journeys up until this point to give it just the listener a little bit of context. Yeah, I know, but guess like everyone else up. Pitch? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. You want to go first? Yeah, I'll go for it. Mine's, I think mine's easier. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think I grew up like most people. Uh, church on Christmas and Easter, Mother's Day, sometimes to make my grandma feel good to, you know, join her on a Sunday at, at Catholic Mass. Um, but we grew up Catholic that way. So it never really like was a part of who I was. It was just kind of like something extra we did and I never enjoyed. Um, and then my best friend all growing up, his dad was a pastor. So kind of went to church every now and then that way. But was just kind of goofing off and then really kind of entered into a spiritual or faith journey uh, in high school when I was chasing this woman sitting next to me in this closet uh, where she was going to a young life camp. And I was like, yeah, I I don't know what that is. It's how much money. Yeah, man, let's go. And I think it was like a couple days before uh, the bus was leaving. I signed up to go. And that was kind of like my introduction into most things, thinking yeah. for myself and not being told what to think um, or not being told by, you know, my parents or whatever, that this is what we're doing. Yeah. So um, really got to go kind of explore myself there and, you know, that Young Life Camp experience will get you and it got me. And so that's <laughs> kind of where I started down that, that path through, through the rest of high school, but mostly into college and spent most of my college days deep in it, um, leading worship and going to all the youth groups and leading young life and all this stuff. And you came off staff even, right? 
And then after college, yeah, I worked at a church uh, in Bellevue for a year and then was on Young Life staff. Yeah, for two years, two and a half years, all while I was leading a, a group of kids. And, um, and then we had kids and it kind of remained similar, you know, got plugged in a little bit here and there through churches and um, whatnot. But um, I would say once the kids once our kids grew up a little bit, I feel like my perspective changed on a lot of things um, and was able to kind of pull back from some, some of the traditional beliefs, I guess, that I had held for a while and, and started do to you, see, see them through do the lens of a parent, which was different. What, what, do you make any connections on, on that? We'll get to, sorry, Kelsey, um, jump in. Uh, Cause I want to hear your, your, you, you as well, but um do you make any connections now looking back to why that change started happening around then? You know, I, they started asking questions. Yeah. Oh, the kids did. Okay. Yeah. Like our kids are super, super um, curious and I love that about them. And a lot of times before bed, as we're, as we're saying goodnight, they ask like really, really deep questions, mostly to Kelsey. But when Kelsey comes down, we have dialogue about it and, we just like, we're struck with this. Like the, the, the obvious one would be like, what if one of our kids is gay? Mm-hmm. Do my beliefs, if, if we held the beliefs that we did for a good chunk of our lives in this house, would they feel like they can be themselves? Would they feel comfortable? Would they feel like we love them for who they are? And the answer is probably not, mm-hmm. you know, um, given what some reputations are among you know, churches and, and youth groups and whatnot. So um, we just kind of, well, at least for me, like. And, just, and what we all used to believe too, right? Right. It is right. what it is. We thought, we thought they were going to hell. Exactly. Yeah. What we were taught. Yeah. yeah. Or even just, you know, I think even questions that I would answer myself confidently, like what happens to you after you die, which, you know, normally I think we would have jumped right in saying, well, you go to heaven if you die. That's where people go when you die. Yeah, you live a good life and you go and get to see everybody you loved that has also died. And it's a big party. And yeah. But we started thinking like, well, we, <laughs> we're like, we don't really know that for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a, a point where we were like, you know, people believe different about this and no one can really know for sure. And so with the kids, we started to talk about you know, when, when there are things that we don't know for sure, how are we going to respond to those questions? And it led us down a journey of being more open-minded with the possibilities of some of these things and rethinking mm-hmm. some of the things we were taught growing up about these big faith questions. Like being really comfortable in the, I don't know. Yeah. And, and if that's interesting to you, go read some books about it, go watch some stuff about it. Like, We'll tell you what a lot of different people think about this question. Yeah. I wonder if, um, I hadn't thought about this this way before, but I wonder if as parents, we get more comfortable with the, I don't know is because our kids already are innately very comfortable (laughs) with, with the, I don't know. They're, they're, they're not tied to any, they're not going to fight you on it. Right. Like they love wonder. Like, you know, and we got into the habit of asking, what do you think? You know, yes. asking them what they think. And it's, it's the res- best. Yeah, the responses just blow our minds. It's things we've never thought of before. And yeah, like when, when, when Henry will say, uh, 
yeah, what happens after you die? And one of our responses is, I don't know, I haven't died. So I, I can't tell you for sure. Um, kind of fun to think about. What do you think happens? You know, like if you just turn it back on them and then they start thinking mm-hmm. rather than just giving them a hundred percent certain written in stone, this is what happens. Yeah. Then what's left to wonder and what's left to, you know, go and seek. And I don't know, it just kind of felt like why put some, def- you know, definite answer to something that nobody knows. Yeah. No one yeah. Knows. Why provide this? Why, why ruin, ruin it with a script when it's so much better to imagine? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, we didn't want to squash the imagination. And honestly, as much <clears throat> as much as we w- wish we had answers about that kind of thing, you know, that would I think in some cases give them a lot of comfort. Um, it we reached a place where we couldn't say for sure what we believed, so we couldn't give them an answer. At least for me, I felt like I couldn't give them wholeheartedly an answer that I didn't know for sure. Yeah, and you, Kelsey. Share, would you mind sharing kind of your yeah, background so leading actually, up to that point? We grew up similarly. We were both raised Catholic, but my family went very, we were very committed Catholic. So we would go every Sunday. Um, I was in Sunday school and youth group growing up. My family as a whole, close Italian family, we would, you know, they'd cook brunch at church after the service for everybody to come to. Like it was it was very much how I was raised. Um, and then started getting involved in more evangelical churches, like in middle and high school, and then got involved in Young Life. Um, I went to SPU, which is a small private Christian college, got really involved there with all sorts of things. Um, and leading Young Life during that time as well, during college and going to church And then afterward, continued going to church, was really involved in Bible studies, community groups, things like that. So um, it's only been kind of in the last, we were going to church up until the pandemic pandemic, (laughs) kind of shut everything down Mm -hmm. um, in March of 2020. And then... But our church choices really, like we got to a point probably four or five years ago where we kind of had our checklist of we want to be plugged into a church that, you know, can check these boxes. Mm -hmm. And if they can't, we don't really want to invest our time, money, energy, um, connect our kids into a, a church like that. Not to say that these churches are bad or wrong. We just had our own, you know, preferences and it was the, the three were it was uh they had a good children's program <laughs> we wanted it to be big enough that easy. the kids could go and we could get ourselves a little bit of a break yeah um that, at least have one woman or person yeah of that color. there were women and people of color up front teaching and mm-hmm. preaching and that it was lgbtq affirming Right. And those were our three things. And it was shockingly hard to find a church. Yeah. Good luck finding that in (laughs) fucking North Bend. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, no. And so for a while, we were driving, we were making the the trip to like Juanita (laughs) Elementary School, wherever we are in Kirkland, Bothell. (laughs) Because it was the only place that we felt comfortable taking our kids and not wondering and worrying what they're being taught. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, and the kids loved it, they ate it up. Um, and and, and we got a ton out of it. Yeah. So that, that was our 
community until it stopped being community. Um, you know, but, but COVID did really have a way of, um, I mean, like, you know, the, just the reducing, I feel like it allowed us all to take a step back and figure out like, do we, why are we doing this? You know, you just kind of get in the pattern of it. You never actually question Mm -hmm. it, but then COVID hits and you're, you you have the space, the margin to question like, why am, why are we, why am I going to this every week on Sunday? Yeah. And, well, it um, shut down everything and made you think, what do I want to add back in when this yeah, is? Yeah. That's a better way to put it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, how would you guys identify today? Like if you had to identify spiritually? <laughs> is there a name for <laughs> someone who's intellectually convinced that God doesn't exist, but still hopes that there's something bigger than us? Mm. And also praise sometimes and is convinced they've had supernatural experiences. <laughs> like there's no word for that. Right. And I, and I think to that point, I really, really don't like now for a long time. I battled with, I don't, the word Christian doesn't feel like it describes me and what I believe, even though I go to church or what, whatnot. And so I don't, I didn't like the label of Christian because it's so broad and that there's people doing really awful things yeah. in the name of Christianity and claiming they're Christian doing it. Um, so I just didn't want any part of that. Uh, and so I, even just asking like, what do you identify as? I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to have an answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. So, yeah. 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 I want to just be a good human that doesn't limit my imagination or curiosity. And, and I think where I'm, struggling is because I was in so deep into the Christian culture. Now I'm on the kind of other side of it or a different side of it. Um, I'm, I'm having a, I'm still working through like the judgment part. Cause I, ideally it's kind, it's respect, kindness, it's respect, it's love. And it's like not judging anybody for anything, regardless of belief or whatever. And something I'm probably still, right in the middle of, but whatever that word is, you know, a good (laughs) human, just a good human. I want to be a good human and friend, you know, humanist. Yeah. Yeah. That's a word. But, but humanist is an actual thing, right? Yeah. (laughs) I like it. It sounds great. That's (laughs) what I could probably get on board with. Like like, those are hard, you know, because they come with such baggage. And I hear you saying that any label would be reductionistic and you are desiring an openness and yeah. anything but reduction. Right. right. Yeah. And room to change our mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I think that was something we kind of got stuck in for a long time was, well, this is what we're, we were taught to believe, or this is what we're supposed to believe to be able to call ourselves Christians. And now that we've kind of shed that label, I think we're hesitant to put on a new one for fear that, we change our mind again. And then, you know, we're trying to leave room for new learning and new possibility and being more open-minded than we've been in the past. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And what's, uh, and what, what is the point of the label? If, if not anything much more than just brand management anyway, right? Belonging. Yeah. yeah. Community. Community. It's, I think that's one of the things that we would agree that 
Christians do really well, churches really well. do really well is community and yeah. Yeah. sense of taking care of each other. And there is camaraderie in a shared belief system and there's comfort in that. And you can talk about, at least for me, like to be able to talk to my friends about things that are much deeper than I would talk to most people about because yeah. we're sharing <clears throat> prayer requests or we're talking about these bigger picture things in our lives. And I really, I miss that part of it a lot. And getting to know new people is really easy in a church by joining a community group. You have a baby and you have people dropping off dinner. Like they, there's just things mm -hmm. that are done really well. And so without the label, without having a church to go to, like who, it, it does leave you wanting that community mm -hmm. back and that sense of belonging. But I think... I think even your ability to say that you miss that shows a real sense of like um, that that you've been able to trans transcend beyond it. I guess just in the sense that like I don't know if you would um, if you would identify this with this or not, but I feel like the moment an, a, a, an ex Christian says, "Well, I miss this part of it." all the evangelicals are like, aha, like, <laughs> come on back. I've been praying that's, for you. That's the spirit leading you back in <laughs> you know? and just like pulling that move. And yeah. And, and you're like, yeah. kind of like, you're like, you're showing your hand of your cards and they're like, aha, you don't have a full house. You're like, I never said I did motherfucker. <laughs> like I just got cards just like you. Okay. And this isn't even a fucking game. Like, you know, yeah. I really extended yeah, that poker I mean, analogy, didn't I? Um, <laughs> it was nice. But we've gotten comfortable with that tension, right? Like there's good and bad in yeah. all of it. So. So what, um, yeah, how do you, how do you elaborate a little bit more on how do you view your experiences with Young Life? And which is, you know, like to catch the listener up that like that's coming from a really awkward spot for me, right? Because I like was in some respects, like your guys' young life leader, you know, yeah. in, in, yeah. in some capacity. And, and, and that was leader. Yeah. 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 Refuge. Refuge. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Um, master. Yeah. Wait, you what's... did all the things to us. Congrats. <laughs> yeah. We planted a church together. I mean. Shit. Yes, we did. Uh, <laughs> That, that was great, though. I know. I was going to say, like, that is one of the highlights of our lives. Like, we still have friends. Great like, community. Best friends that we planted that church with. And that was a really happy time in our lives where we felt like we were creating a church that we loved and a community that was genuine and that loved all people. And Yeah. And I think that the fact that it was short-lived is probably a huge blessing. Yeah, you know, now we now we can look back on it fondly, and it didn't get yeah. corrupted, and it didn't get, you know, it was never about like the money or membership or anything like that. It was like let's genuinely build something that's fun to be around and help people, and yeah, and it I was small it. and awesome, and yeah, so that was great, and that's, that's what true. the church. We really just did right? burn through the denominational money, and we're like, oh, well, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good run. <laughs> It was a good run. It was a great it was, run. It was a good run. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think our experiences in even 
communities as a whole is complicated. Yeah. I think we, when we were in it, we agree that we just loved it. You know, we were all in, we loved young life. Like we loved camp. We loved the Bible studies that came out of it. Again, like a lot of our friends today are friends that we met through those circles and shared life with those people. And it was great. But once you're kind of on the other side of it too, I think you realize that some of the things that were taught were really harmful. Mm. And we have found that it's hard to talk about those things, Mm -hmm. especially with the people who might still be more involved in it because it's hard. I think it's harder to hold the tension when you're in it. Like we're, we're out of it now. So we can look back and see, gosh, that didn't, I wish that could have been different. That, didn't have a good impact on me, that theology or that teaching or that leader, you know, and there were things that we did. I mean, we led Young Life for a long time. And I think there's things that we regret that we regurgitated, that we were taught, um, things that we perpetuated that now we wish we hadn't been a part of. So also being being on the other side of it, recognize, like I'm able to fully recognize and see very clearly that my experience with Young Life as a straight white man was completely different than a pretty good chunk of kids that probably had a much different experience, you know? So like as a leader, I had a gay kid in my cabin and my heart broke for that kid more than like, I could have been alone with that kid just having conversation with him because he felt so real about like, what are you struggling with? And everything else was just, it felt like a big show. And I was like, but wait, this is the kid that we should all be like doing this for, right? Like this is the the furthest out kid, but it felt kind of felt like this isn't for you, bud. Sorry. Hmm. You know, like I, it was, it's just a hard, I don't know. It's hard looking back on that. Yeah. And Kelsey, you're, you're back in school now. Or just about to start? Yeah, starting on September 20th. Um, At Seattle School of um, Psychology, or Theology and Psychology, yeah. And um, and kind of one of the focuses you want to do is on spiritual trauma, right? Correct. So my goal by the end, it's a three-year program. And when it's over, I'm hoping to go right into private practice to work with people who've experienced religious trauma and abuse. Um. So my degree specifically focuses on trauma and abuse. Um, And then I picked this school because of the theological component to it, to integrate that into what I hope to do after and the people I want to help. Yeah. So unpack that a little bit for me, would you? Like what, um, describe um, religious trauma. Yeah, so... The way, so first I need to say I'm not an expert in this at all. <laughs> <laughs> but so, you're learning to become one. That's good. Yet. Yeah, I'm yet. Um, so, Which is all, far more interesting. Extra <laughs> boring. Like the ones that are in process of learning it, that's the good yeah. shit right there. He's fired up. The yeah. passion is all there right now. <laughs> I've read a lot. I've done a lot of research. So um, the way I would define it is, in a nutshell, harm that is done in the name of God. So 
for me, my experience and what I've heard the most about in terms of spiritual trauma, like Luke was saying, comes from a limited perspective. Mine is upper middle class, white, cisgender, straight, you know, perspective. So that's my experience. That's what I've seen um, the most of. So when I kind of started exploring this originally, I mean, there's things, there's big abuses that we know about that happen in the church, right? Like we can talk about the abuse of children within the Catholic church and the harm that that's done to so many people. Um, It's no secret that the church has caused harm to the LGBT community. Um, There is a great documentary that just came out on Netflix called Pray Away that um, looked at the past and current practice of conversion therapy. Um, A lot of harm caused there. And then what we personally experienced in our time growing up in evangelical spaces, one of the big things was a lot of shame around our sexuality, which looking back, we realized we just had normal, we met when we were 17. (laughs) So, and we were, you know, deeply in the evangelical space then. And what we were taught is that sex Pretty much all sexual acts are reserved for marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, It was explicitly taught that women were responsible to cover up and to be modest so as not to cause me to cause our brothers in Christ. How dare you? (laughs) Otherwise you get the nail for the apple, right? (laughs) Broken broken heart play. (laughs) That's going to trigger the shit out of some people listening to this, by the way. Yeah, and being compared to, you know, a piece of chewed up bubblegum or a flower with all the petals picked off of it. Two pieces of paper glued together. As soon as you try to rip them apart, they'll never be the same again, ever. No matter how hard you try. Your souls are burning. There's a little piece of shit in the milkshake. You still (laughs) have that milkshake? I I gave that exact analogy (laughs) in a Young Life talk. I was like, here's some brownies. In this batch, there was a lot of poop. In this one, just a little bit. Does anybody want either one of these plates? We're all in the same boat, you guys. We're all full of shit, okay? <laughs> some have a little, some have a lot more. It doesn't matter. You don't oh, want it. God. Oh, God. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's fun. Like, it's it's funny when you think about it now, yeah. but in it, we took it very seriously. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we were adamant that we weren't going to have sex until marriage. I had had sex previous to our relationship. Major fights. So that caused some major drama mm-hmm. where he I was, was mad. Very pure. <laughs> yeah, Luke was Very pure. pure okay? <laughs> Heading into this marriage. <laughs> so, I mean, we almost broke up over that. We did. Um, oh, gosh. And, you know, these thoughts, they didn't come out of nowhere, right? Like, yeah. we were taught these things as... 17-year-old kids, um, we were separated at Young Life Camp into girls and boys. I don't – and Luke couldn't remember what they were teaching the boys. But Have you ever taught a boy – all boys, like, workshop at a Young Life thing? No, I don't think I got that one. I don't, I don't think I ever did either, and I, I've, I know I've been to them. Um, and yeah, I just – I couldn't remember the talking points, but I'm sure that they weren't – I might have. Now, you know. 
Yeah, but this is what we were taught. I mean, we were told that we were responsible for covering covering up. Hmm. Um, that it's a very, you know, it can overlap, in my opinion, to rape culture, where it's the woman is responsible for the man's behavior. Yeah, men are unable to control their sexual desires, and so it's up to the well, woman. It's dehumanizing to both. Absolutely, yeah. to both. It equally harmful to both. Um, yeah. So around that time too, we were attending a church. Yeah. Mars Hill. <laughs> the pastor was saying like a woman giving her husband blowjobs is biblical. Hmm. They should be stripping for you. Yeah. They should be sucking you off. <laughs> this, this is in the Bible. You guys be and, a man and, and a, like ask for this stuff. And that a woman is supposed to be sexually available to her husband at all times. Right. Even if she doesn't feel like it. Oral pleasure just for the man, not the woman, just for the man. Yeah. And, you know, not buying, not wearing sweatpants around your husband because you want to remain attractive to them at all times. And if they were to cheat on you, it's probably because you let yourself go and try hard enough. Yeah. you, You know, so these were the messages we were getting over and over. And not just, I think a lot of people hear some of these stories and they think, well, not all churches are like that. And I would agree you know, not all churches are like that, but we have been to a lot of churches <laughs> and a lot of youth groups. And this is a message we got over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So it really did kind of seep in. It was hard for us. We had a lot of shame. We dated for six years before we got married and we did have sex a handful of times in that time. And every time it was, I mean, anytime we did anything really beyond kissing, it was a shame spiral mm-hmm. where we're crying, we're praying, we think there's something wrong with us because we can't control our sexual desires. God's not going to bless us the our rest marriage, of the way. Jesus, yeah. you know, isn't, yeah, Jesus isn't going to bless our marriage and it, it was very real for us. And then when we got married, that doesn't just shut off. That shame that's associated with sex, with masturbation, sexual desire, yeah. all of that, which well, looking back, we know is just healthy, normal sexual normal development, human behavior. Yeah. Um, carried a lot of shame with it and took us a lot of time to heal and be able to be free with each other in that way. Like it, mm-hmm. it causes a lot more psychological damage than I think. And this is 20 years after we were taught it. Right. And something else I should say, I feel like I need to add, is yeah. I also have friends who have very similar background, similar, similar upbringing, and they don't have these issues, right? So I think that's the hard part, too, is some people internalize these teachings in different ways, Mm. And it can be more harmful <clears throat> for some people than others. And this is something we're learning about trauma is, and even trauma, like war trauma, where yeah. people go to war and experience the exact same events. And one person has PTSD and another person doesn't. Yeah. And I think that's what we're seeing play out within the church is some of these teachings are fine for some people and mm. they they got a lot out of them and it worked for them and they're happily married. They don't have the shame associated with these things, but then there are people like us who really struggled as time went on to not feel these negative ways. And I don't even think at the time we would say, cause we were still fully in it. We were like, this is great. This is how we yeah. were committed to this life. Yeah. Even and, as it was doing damage to your marriage, it was, it yeah, was still I don't even think that something you're committed to. As, 
damage to our marriage. And I think that's what's so insidious about spiritual abuse is you are convinced mm-hmm. that there's something wrong with you, that your faith isn't strong enough. Mm. Because if your faith was strong enough, we wouldn't right. struggle with these sexual desires. I'm not praying enough. I'm not doing quiet time and reading my Bible enough. Right. We're not doing enough together. Yeah. We're not serving enough. We're not, you know, so. and the, journal more. <laughs> yeah. And this is what we see in that Pray Away documentary where they've convinced LGBT, they're convinced that there's something wrong with them. If they only had strong enough faith, they wouldn't have homosexual desires. Hmm. And that I think is what's so harmful is it's done in the name of God, where people want to have a relationship with God yeah. and convinced that they are somehow broken beyond repair because God hasn't changed their heart. Because we're told that if you have God in your heart, you're transformed. Your behavior is transformed. You become more like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so if we're not changing in those ways, and even small ways, I'm like, why can't I stop flipping people off while I'm driving? You know, I must not have Jesus in my heart. That's a big problem. (laughs) So it's just, it's really hard. And I know people, you know, even who have come out and they're, you know, in a same-sex marriage and they're happy and they have children and it's wonderful and they still struggle with their internalized homophobia mm. that they were wow. in church growing up. And mm-hmm. they still feel like they're doing something wrong just by living and loving and living, having a full life. So um, a lot of times when I tell people what I want to do and the types of people I want to help, they even ask if it's, if there's a need there, you know, really? I, get that, I get a question like, is that really needed? It's happened a couple times. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. And so it just, it, that tells me too, and it's always from Christians. And that tells me that there is sort of a blind eye to some of these problems or just people aren't talking about them enough. Um, and their experiences because people don't even realize, I think, some of the harm that this causes. There is, you're, I'd love to hear what you think that causes that disconnect. Like why so much of this um, spiritual trauma goes unaddressed in churches. Like it's not even acknowledged, you know, let alone like. I think it, it I think it kind of tears down the, the facade of it all, you know, like we, we need to, we need to appear to have it all together. So Mm -hmm. that we are this inviting place that can provide answers and comfort and security and community together. And as soon as you start peeling back and seeing that it's a little bit rotten over here and Oh shoot, the foundation's cracked over there. Uh Oh, what happens to the money that we have coming in? What happens to, I think it, I, I, that's how it feels to me is we're scared that if people realize certain things, then the whole thing breaks down. Yeah. I, I think it's more than that. I think I honestly, most of the people that we've met within the Christian community are really well-intentioned. Like they're kind people, they want good for other people and they want a community that they can make a difference in that. For sure. And, and I think at least for me, because I think back a lot to my, our experience in 
being more involved. And I know for us, like we would sit at Mars Hill and we would listen to Mark Driscoll and, you know, we never believed that being gay was a sin. That was just never a thing that we believed. We have people in our lives, family, like you could never convince me of that. So, you know, hearing a pastor from the front teaching that gay people are an abomination to God, we just didn't think about the effect it would have on the gay person sitting next to us. Right. We were thinking, well, we don't agree with that. How we consumed it. Yeah. yeah it was all just a selfish yeah, it was personal like, thing. Yeah. yeah. I was like, well, we don't believe that that's true. So we're going to continue to treat the gay people in our life with love. And, yep. and we, at least I didn't, I wasn't thinking, Oh my gosh, I need to get the hell out of here. I don't want to support this church that would teach something like that. Like that just didn't, that wasn't something that crossed our mind at the time. We even mm-hmm. said things like, I, I think it's really good that we don't agree with everything our pastor says. You <laughs> right. know, like we don't want to be just like these robots that do whatever he says. Right. Mm-hmm. It was almost a source of pride for yeah. us. Yeah. It's like, you know what? It's it's healthy to disagree. This is good. Yeah. It's good to get the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, all that. I think, you know, we grew up a little bit and realized how much money is a factor, right? Like if people just stopped giving money to the places that they their values didn't align I think it would change a lot you know we we know people who are still involved in churches that are very sexist or very homophobic and they don't hold those same beliefs but they're still tithing mm-hmm. you know yeah. so I I don't know wow. I think it is like well this isn't affecting me personally I I think too like there are people like us that we were just convinced this is how it was like for me i'm like this is just we want to be good christians so but christian it seems like and this is from my experience too was described in a hyper individualistic manner mm-hmm. where i'm not considering the the closeted gay person next to me and how this same message impacts them I'm only considering how it impacts me and I'm on the right side of this. So I'm okay with, you know, and, and, and a lot of the other examples, negative examples you gave, like they, they have this individualism wrapped in it, you know, rather than a a communal approach to how, how us, how we impact the rest of the world. It's just, it's, 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 it's so compartmentalized into just, these little sections of individuals and the more you can individualize it, the more you can disperse it, the more you can disperse it, the more you can, you can dismiss it as not a big deal. Right. I wonder how much of that set is the bad, the whole idea that my church does a lot more good than that one little bad theological teaching. Mm -hmm. They're helping people. This is my community. You know, I think it's hard and when we refl- reflect back on what took us so long to leave, it was the community part, the belonging part. Like, this is our community. This is, how could we walk away from this? Mm-hmm. The reason we didn't keep going. The ends justify the means. Yeah. yeah. The reason we left Mars Hill was not because of the controversial teaching or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was because we legitimately, for I think like two or three weeks, tried to get plugged into a community group. We're like, this is great. We love his teaching. This is awesome. Let's get plugged in. And had the hardest time, could not get plugged in. We, we asked around, we emailed, we could not get plugged in. So we're like, this is not what church is supposed to be. So let's go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, that's, 
(laughs) And you look back and pretty much every other word out of Mark Driscoll's mouth could be classified as spiritual abuse. Hmm. We're listening to a great (laughs) podcast on it right now. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's, it's a little bit popular, a little bit more popular than this one. (laughs) <laughs> it's yeah we we listened to some of those and he's they play the clips of him screaming and we're like we were legitimately in the seats listening yeah. to that we yeah, were yeah. being screamed at yeah and we're just like man this guy's fired up you know and we hear it now 10 years later 12 years later and we're like holy shit what how did we just how did we not get up and walk out this is awful. Well, and I mean, we internalize a lot of it. Like he taught about how men should be in charge of the finances. So I turned all that over to Luke. We tried. <clears> and boy, and then, was that a mistake. <laughs> Bills weren't getting paid, you know. What? So. <laughs> this is why I married her. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those things. Dude, I don't, I don't have. I, uh, the worst Christian? Maybe it does. Okay? Lord handles all that shit. I don't I have the first clue what's going on with her. <laughs> But she tries really hard to like key me in because we're, you know, <laughs> like we want to be a team and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll get the app on my phone. And I just, I still don't have the app. But <laughs> oh <laughs> There's a great God. stand-up comedian who goes, I, my wife does it all. I don't know how much money we have. Couldn't ballpark it. <laughs> no clue. <laughs> well, she doesn't want me to know because then I'll spend more. So, <laughs> so Ooh, we like, got a little cushion. Like, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. Um, it's... Yeah, I feel like that's where spiritual trauma becomes so problematic because if it's not even acknowledged by the people who are, let alone being the abusing, abusive ones, but then even beyond that, those who are complicit in that abuse, if it's not even acknowledged, let alone um, condemned, um, that makes healing that much more difficult for the person who, is, who has experienced trauma. Right. Because they have to, like, it's like gaslighting. They have, they have to come to their own conclusion that, like, no, this wasn't okay. And they almost have to reclaim their sense of, um, of personhood and, um, and dignity first. And then and in order to acknowledge that this was not okay, what happened to me as a person. Yes. What, that's what that's the, a long road. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, this is going to sound, this might sound silly, but... One of the biggest things that impacted me, which feels like a kind of a core (laughs) component of Christianity, is just the concept of you are a sinner, Mm. that you are broken, that you fall short of the glory of God. You cannot trust your instincts. You cannot trust your desires. You need to turn all of that over to Jesus and just let him guide you, which Sounds great in theory until you get to the point where you're unable to trust your own instincts, your own emotions, where you like I would feel things bubble up in me. I'm like, this isn't quite right. You know, some of the patriarchy, the sexism, I'm like, this doesn't feel true. This doesn't feel right. But you stuff it down because that's just your sinful nature. Mm-hmm. And it, it is totally gaslighting. It tricks you into thinking again, that you are the problem. And so for me, the biggest healing had to come from that where it's like, okay, I no longer believe that I am broken, that I'm a sinner. I do not feel that I need a savior, which is the whole point of Jesus. I do not not feel like I need that anymore. 
and learning how to trust myself again. Mm. Trust that what I want for my life, what I want for my family, what I want for my marriage, what I want in my relationships, how I want to be treated. It all had to be reevaluated. Trusting your own body with like when it comes to sexual impulses, all that stuff, right? Exactly. Your own, your own instincts about like what is, feels unsafe or, or unhealthy. Yeah. Back to that parenting lens too. When you pick your kids up from VBS and you come a little early and see the finale where somebody is on stage telling a three-year-old that they're broken and they're a sinner, you know, like, whoa, time out. That hits different. That's don't (laughs) tell my kid that please. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? So it was a, that's like, hold on a second. Like, what do we want? What kind of house do we want our kids to grow up in? Mm -hmm. And it's, but that's hard. It's hard to explain to people because that is um, like, who am I to say that I don't need a savior? Mm -hmm. Right. Audacious thing to say. What an audacious thing to claim that I don't need saving. Um, That I think (laughs) is hard to understand for people who might still be in it mm-hmm. because that it's, it's almost proof like uh, that I've gone down the wrong path. But I think what you're doing is you're reclaiming your sense of dignity because I mean, I firmly, firmly believe it is, and I would even argue it's biblical to say it is inherently undignifying to describe or sometimes even define someone by what they lack. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a uh, homeless or divorced or sinner, right. To describe someone by what they lack is just an undignifying way of, of, um, of approaching the person. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we refuse to be defined by what we lack, um, we, we reclaim our sense of dignity, our sense of personhood, that this is, you know, uh, yeah. It, it, and it's, and it's, it can be liberating and it can be extremely threatening to those who have found an identity in that. And um, furthermore, um, they, um, they have determined their, their sense of belonging from that identity too. Right. So that's, it's a it's a double it's a double edged sword right there um, that you're threatening when you 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 attack that house of cards that right. sense of like I, I'm not going to play this game that you're you're doing right it's also hard to like I mean I'm realizing at various points in this conversation like how fragile it all like wading in this water that we're in now and we are somewhat new to um, kind of like pushing through Christianity and into this new water uh, you have like how to tiptoe and be firm about what I believe about who I am, who our family is while not (laughs) tearing down great people around us that Mm. don't believe the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I can't repeating the mistakes of the fundamentalism. Right. Right. I can't wait to get to the point where, conversation is eye to eye again, but just without the like partition of religion that kind of like fogs everything up. Like I, I, you know, I, I just want there to be like a, a level of respect where the things I say don't come across as weapons. Hmm. 
I'm just having a conversation. I, this is nothing personal against you or right. your family. We're just sharing our yeah. experience. Like, and we know you as people. So obviously I don't think you're a terrible person raising your kids wrong, mm-hmm. right? Like this is just our shared experience. Yeah. Which. And, and the things they say to you don't come across as, as trying to evangelize to you or looking down on you because you're, yes. you're no longer a Christian, right? Like, can we just have a fucking fair that, conversation right? again? Yes. Can we just, can yeah, we just yeah, yeah. be two people like open-handedly talking about these things? That's really yeah. hard to find nowadays. Yeah. Well, and okay. I love this Brene Brown quote and I'll probably butcher it, but she says something like in order to empathize with another person, you have to trust their experience as they see it and not how you imagine their experience to be. Oh, wow. And so I think that's the hardest part is like, mm. we'll say this hurt me and other people will say, well, it didn't hurt me. So you were wrong. So I think that's the hard part in some of these conversations is, you know, we are like, we feel harmed by purity culture. Not everyone does. And so it makes it harder to have that conversation because, you know, everyone's harmed by physical abuse, right? Like it's harder to point to psychological harm and say, this was a true experience for me when not everyone has had the same experience. It's even in the same church, even in the same young life group, you know, it, it's hard to try to get people to understand what your experience was. Yeah. So what's, what's a healthy spirituality look like to you guys today? And when I say spirituality, you know, I hope, you know, I'm talking about meaning and purpose and relationship and, uh, you know, I'm not talking about an old person with a beard in the sky. Sure. (laughs) I mean, I just think like wonder and curiosity and question, questioning. And I just think those are the types of things I want to be about and not about it. I don't want to be stuck to one thing or another. I just want to be completely open-minded which I think would help a lot of people break free from some stereotypes, some, some things that are pretty heavy burdens and whatnot. Like I just want to be open and free and curious and like that's, and I'm thinking about that too, again, as a dad, like that's what I want of my kids too. So I don't want, I I have a, I, I have a hard time thinking about them because of something I told Henry, Henry then hurting another kid with that belief. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, like you're wrong. My dad told me so. And here's, I'm going to make you feel like shit for it. Um, that's just, that's tough for me. So if he lives in the great question, man, I don't know that type of space. I think we get along better and people feel heard and less harmed. Um, I don't know. Like I said, being a good human. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's like a recognizing our shared humanity. If nothing else, we're here in this, this is going to sound really woo woo, but like, we're all here at this point in time together and we never will be again, as far as I know. Um, and so we're just, 
here to share and make the world a better place and be kind and respectful and love one another. And I think, I think all of the same principles that guided us in our time in church are the same now, like love, joy, peace, patience, you know, <laughs> kindness, gentleness, all those things. Like, like you, you still I, got it. I can get on board with <laughs> those things. It's in the right order. It's pretty tasty. <laughs> that was so good. I just our va- it doesn't feel to me like our values have necessarily changed. It's more we just don't ascribe them to a certain religion anymore. Um, and I I feel a lot more comfortable with the unknown in terms of what happens after this life. Um like I said earlier, I hope there's something after this. I really do. I hope that there's a heaven or a somewhere. Reincarnation. Sure. I don't Get know. Get me into like an animal's <laughs> body, you know? I think I'd be mm-hmm. a killer like hippo or something like that. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know? Who knows? But I don't know. I think what I um, appreciate about you two is, um, I mean, well, it's a, it's a ton of things, but I think the sense that you don't, need a label anymore I really um I really admire that because I I think for the longest time I think I'm just getting to the point where I I I genuinely don't feel the need to try to convince people that I'm a Christian and I and I actually still personally I I think I still identify that with with being a Christian, but I just have no interest at all in trying to convince people I am one, I guess. And, (laughs) or, um, and I'm, and, and furthermore, I'm okay with people assuming that I'm no longer one, you know, like if they want, want to make that mistake, that's, that's fine. I, I just, it's such a waste of time to try to even have that conversation. I feel like bores me now where it used to compel me because I just was so scared of losing my sense of belonging or wanted to be um, approved of, or, and I just don't have that like I used to. And I think that it's interesting because the, I feel like the more I've lost, I've, I've um, stripped that off and shedded that, the more I feel convinced that I'm loved. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think loved by something greater than myself, but certainly loved because of friends like you and the Moors and the Wrights and and others that are just so so dear to me that um, that collectively just don't give a shit about the label. <laughs> you know, I could change the label every week with them, and they they would wouldn't even would not even be a pause. You know, yeah. it wouldn't even be a, they think that conversation just as boring. Yeah. And, um, and that's, that's, it's just really nice to, um, to feel loved. Yeah. That is better than, um, being accepted because you agree with me on my propositional true statements. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I think we've gotten to this place where for a long time we needed that. We needed people to agree. We wanted to be in a community where we all agreed on those things. And now we don't need that. We don't, 
need our friends to agree with our philosophies on religion or spirituality or whatever word you want to use. We just want to be surrounded by good people who are trying not to hurt other people, you know, and making, I'm making an effort to do that work to figure out, because it took us work to figure out how we perpetuated that harm. And we, we had to grieve that and realize that we were part of the problem and that sucks. So now we just want to be part of making the world a better place. And I think most people want that. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Oh yeah. <laughs> I miss you. Let's let's uh let's grab a drink soon. I love you guys so much. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you. listening to the not quite compassion podcast it'd mean the world to me if you took the time to rate uh, and review leave a little comment on itunes or spotify about the podcast tell us what you like about it and it really helps with the ranking of it and for more people to be able to find it um, also if you have any questions about the podcast or suggestion or something um, go ahead and just email me it's uh, kyle dean reynolds at gmail.com simple as that so k-y-l-e-d-e-a-n-r-e-y N-O-L-D-S, Kyle Dean Reynolds at gmail.com. Uh, or you can always reach out to me on the socials uh, at, at Kyle Reynolds on Twitter. Thanks. Uh-huh.